0: Good afternoon, and I want to welcome you to another uh, live edition of the Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast. This is your host, Brother Nick Bailey, coming to you live from the United Baptist Church Auditorium on this Thursday, February the 18th, 2022. Excuse me, February 17th, 2022. Um, And I hope everybody's having a wonderful day is it sure is rather nice, warm, and windy. The wind's blowing here in the foothills of northeast Tennessee. As I look out the uh, front door of the church auditorium, that American flag is just blowing uh, back and forth, uh, and I love our flag. But my understanding is we're supposed to get some storms later on this evening, and there might even be some severe weather popping up a little west of here over in the middle part of our state. And for those of you who know me well, you know I'm sort of a severe weather buff, whether it be tornadoes, snow, or even hurricanes. It's just a hobby of mine that I like to follow. But um, uh, just by way of introduction, I want to say I'm so excited about what was another outstanding night of the United for Christ Youth Ministry here at United Baptist Church last night. Once again, we had 46 Children and young people. Boy, so close to that 50 uh, mark. But We had 46 kids attended the program. And again, the Lord's testing my patience as I'm waiting for us to cross over that 50 threshold. But every week it seems like we're seeing new faces. So one of these weeks in the very near future, I'm trusting the Lord to get us over that mark and celebrate over 50 kids attending the United for Christ ministry here at United Baptist Church. And I'll never forget how that before we ever hit 50 in attendance, um, after I first became pastor of our church, I told my people that once we did hit hit that 50 mark, I would stand on top of the church roof and preach uh, when it happened. Well, that fell through because long story short, I'm afraid of heights. And I get all nervous when I get uh, probably more than about 10 foot or so off the ground. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do when we do hit the 50 mark. Again, not if, but when we hit the 50 mark with the United for Christ program. But it definitely will be a time of celebration for sure. So continue to remember that program again every Wednesday night, 7 o'clock p.m. at United Baptist Church. We have our United for Christ youth program classes for all ages, uh, toddler through high school age. Uh, We run our church bands out. Uh, right around the city limit, uh, city limits or within close proximity uh, to the city limits. So we'd love to pick your children up. We've got a Wednesday night Bible study for our adults to attend as well. So do remember this. also the Ark Thrift Store. Uh, continue to remember the Ark Ministries, 313 East Bernard Avenue here in Greenville. Our um, operating hours are 10 o'clock a.m through 5 o'clock p.m. Monday through Friday, as we have had a, a, a large influx of new furniture and appliance items to the store. We're getting ready to do a, a 20% off sale uh, at the art thrift stores. So get come in and get involved in that. It starts next weekend. But again, as we continue to try to uh, do the Lord's work, reaching people by way of benevolence, and uh, again, uh, trying to evangelize and spread the gospel, and just do all kinds of things um, by way of the art ministry. So remember that. Also, uh, by way of prayer request today, let's continue to remember Nancy Chapman, the Chapman family, as she recently lost her husband. Remember Bob Price and his health. Continue to pray for Miss Shirley Neese coming off of a recent surgery. Remember Miss Lula Cutchall as she is still in the hospital but improve, improving. Remember Miss Cheryl Davis. And Gary Gridley as they're sick, <coughs> excuse me, still fighting this little tickle of a cough. Remember um, Tonya Barham, Zach Stanton, uh, Sam Stillner, and Lynn Harrison, all with health-related issues. We need to remember the situation in Eastern Europe with Ukraine as the Russians are threatening an invasion of the re- Ukrainian uh, region. And uh, that's a very, very serious situation and it's created tremendous instability all across our world. So pray for the Ukraine crisis. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll get right into today's, to the Bible study portion of today's broadcast. Father in heaven, I love you and I thank you for another open door that you've given us to, to conduct this uh, Bible study broadcast. Uh, thank you, Lord, for each and every one that's uh, tuning in and watching or listening, whether it be by Facebook, through YouTube, or um, whether it be later on by way of podcast, Lord, I pray that you would take your word and use it to make a difference in our hearts and lives. Lord, what a blessing it's been to me today as I've studied and prepared for today's episode. But Lord, now I pray that it would be just as much of a blessing to those who uh, receive its truths. God, I pray that your word would make the difference in our lives, get the job done. Father, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be prepared, the soil of our hearts would be softened and uh, sensitive, God, to the Word of God as it goes forth today. Lord, that Your Word might be a lamp to our feet, a light in our paths. Lord, that we'd hide Your Word in our hearts and not sin against Thee. God, that we wouldn't be forgetful hearers of the Word only, but faithful doers of the work also. God, honor Your Word, exalt Your Son by way of your humble servant. God, meet every need, touch every heart and life. God, most of all, if there might be one that's lost, save them, uh, Lord, through the Word of God. Today, God, draw us all closer to you. Strengthen us and mature us in our own faith, God. And we're going to praise you in advance for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Also, I have an unspoken request that I would ask for you to uh, remember on my behalf. But on yesterday's program, we were able... Uh, only able to cover about one verse of Scripture, uh, and we spent pretty much all of our time examining verse number seventeen of Romans, chapter number six. So again, we're not getting in a hurry, but we're just uh, we're uh, moving it down into low gear, and we're just plowing slowly, just to make sure that we uh, dig as much uh, of uh, as many of the the jewels of the Scripture out as we possibly can. But again, this verse falls in under the greater heading of what I believe to be the yield section of Romans chapter number six. As I told you very early on um, that I believe Romans chapter six can be divided into three distinct sections that deal with the three key and primary words that are used throughout the chapter. They are as follows: No reckon and yield. Uh, This word know is used multiple times throughout the chapter. Some things that are important for us as Christians to know and be aware of specifically regarding our identification and affiliation with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But once we know these things, then we've got to reckon them or we've got to make uh, application and implementation of those things to our everyday lives as Christians. We've got to decide and to determine on a daily basis, amen, uh, amen, that we are going to apply what we know, making application of the truth of God's Word. What I know is simply not enough as it relates to the Scripture. But just as importantly, what am I going to do with what I know? But now once we have known these things and reckoned them to our own accounts or to our own lives, we've got to then decide on a daily basis, just who or what we're going to yield, there's the third word, the word yield. The individual members of our bodies too, whether it be sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. We've got a choice. Uh, amen. We've been delivered from the rule, the reign and the dominion of sin and we've fallen our lives now fallen under a new reign and that is a reign of grace. To yield means to cater to, to capitulate or to make concession towards another person or thing based upon uh, the recognized authority that uh, individual has and in over us. <coughs> and over the last couple of broadcasts, we've been emphasizing the fact that when we got born again, we were delivered out from under the reign of sin. And we were brought in under a new reign, a new dominion and a new authority of grace uh, that now rules in over our lives. But yesterday, we spent quite a little bit of time. I'm just giving you all this by way of introduction before we get into the meat of today's study. Yesterday, we spent uh, a good bit of, a good portion of our time talking about how that um, who we choose to yield ourselves to as Christians determines who or what we are servants of. And although we may choose to refer to ourselves and identify ourselves as servants of the Lord Jesus, if we choose to yield ourselves as well as the members of our own bodies to sin rather than to righteousness, then we're still serving sin regardless of what we may say or even think about ourselves. A lot of people in Christ's day, they referred to Him as Lord, but yet they did not pay any attention to, they didn't give any credence or adherence to, uh, they were not obedient to the words of the Master. So uh, they, uh, again, uh, we also spent an abundance of time talking about the importance of the word obedience as it relates to the doctrinal truths and principles of the Scripture. And as we closed yesterday's broadcast, we finished it up by establishing the fact that regardless of what the religious world may say or think, doctrine does matter. Amen. Don't forget that. Uh, again, doctrine and religion these are taboo, these are unpopular, they're politically in, incorrect words in our current uh, religious world. But friend, uh, religion is a Bible word and doctrine matters. Over and over again uh, uh, the Bible uses doctrine. Paul speaks and we gave you several scripture references uh, that emphasize the importance of doctrine. All right, so that brings us to today's broadcast and I'd like for us to spend a uh, much of our time focusing on the second important word that is found in the yield section of the chapter. And if you remember, I told you either yesterday or the day before that I believe this third and final yield section of Romans chapter 6 can be subdivided into three more important words which are as follows. The first word is favor. The second word is freedom and the final word is fruit. So far we have considered the favor or the grace subdivision. Grace is the word that the Bible uses. But uh, we could use the synonym favor uh, as a title for that section. But now I want us to notice the freedom uh, section. Again, this freedom is the emphasis and the priority of the verses we're going to study today. First of all, let's notice a liberation uh, verse number 18, Romans chapter number 6, verse 18, being then made free from sin. Here Paul reveals why we who are saved have no reason or excuse whatsoever to continue yielding or submitting ourselves into sin after we get saved. Why? Because at the moment of our conversion, we have been made free from the dominion, the reign, and the authority of our sins. Yet I want to remind you today that oftentimes the effects and the results of this newfound freedom we possess as born-again Christians, uh, they do not reveal themselves immediately, but slowly and progressively. Again, emphasizing the process of sanctification that takes place in the life of a new convert. Sanctification starts the moment that you get born again. And it continues all throughout the remainder of our lives as God's people. Remember this, friend. although the old nature of the flesh was slain on the old rugged cross besides the body of Jesus, uh, amen, and although it had received that mortal wound and it is in the process of dying, the truth is our flesh is not dead yet. And as a result, it often takes time for the grip and the grasp of sin that once bound us to slowly loosen up and to gradually lose the chokehold influence it once held in and over our lives before we got saved. But over time, as the grip and the grasp of the new man, the new nature, uh, takes hold and becomes stronger uh, as we grow and mature in our lives as Christians, the influence of the old man... Uh, The old sinful nature of our flesh grows weaker and weaker as it gets closer and closer to the point of its final death and uh, total removal from our lives altogether at the time of our glorification. But again, even though it's not a knockout punch, so to speak, the truth is, friend, we who are saved have been made free from sin. Amen. And aren't you thankful today that if you're saved, you have been made free from sin. But here's another question I want us to ask before we move on. What is it that has and is continuing to make us free from the rule, the reign, the dominion, and the authority of sin in our lives as Christians? And I believe the answer to that question is found at the end of verse 17 that we studied yesterday where Paul writes about that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. So simply put, I believe it's the doctrinal truths and principles of the Word of God that ultimately produces freedom and deliverance from the rule and reign of sin that even to this very day tends to plague our lives as Christians. Jesus Himself said it in John chapter 8 verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So according to the words of Christ Himself, the more time you and I who are saved spend seasoning and saturating our lives with the doctrinal truths of the Bible, the more those truths help us to gain a greater sense of freedom and deliverance from the old authority and dominion sin once had in and upon our lives. And friend, if you really want to grab hold of and, and to grasp uh, the availability of uh, of the newfound freedom that exists in your life, being liberated, uh, amen, and being delivered uh, gradually and progressively uh, from the dominating influence of sin that sin once held on your life before you got saved. If you want that process to, to quicken and to speed up and to occur at a more rapid pace than what it is right now, you just didn't need to spend more time in the bible because the word of god is the tool in which god uses to help you possess uh, and grab hold of the freedom the the available freedom that god has in store for your life amen if if, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free (coughs) now there's a transformation verse number 18 ye became the servants of righteousness here we find a what is a very important part of our spirituality as saved, born-again Christians, that being just because we've been liberated, delivered, and set free, or excuse me, made free from sin, doesn't mean that we have the right to do to do or live our lives in any form or fashion or we want to live them. And in our modern-day religious society, you have all this talk, and you know what I, I'm referring to today, friend, if not... Um, You need to get your head out of the sand, so to speak. But I'm talking about this this false idea, false understanding, and this uh, misinterpretation of Christian liberty that gives man supposedly the right to live any kind of sinful or wicked lifestyle he so chooses to live, even though he has supposedly been converted. As if now that I've been liberated and set free, I have the right to do anything and everything I please without anybody else, not even God Himself, having the right to tell me what I should or should not do. Friend, that's heresy. Uh, amen, that's false doctrine. Uh, amen, that is hatched right out of the pits of hell itself and is concocted by the devil to lead your soul astray. <coughs> Anytime a pastor such as myself uh, or a preacher or a teacher stands up and gives a message or a lesson regarding what Christians should or should not do, or the way they should or should not live, we are immediately labeled as a legalist or a Pharisee. Uh, The do's and don'ts religion. Well, uh, I'm thankful that salvation and Christianity is about more than just do's and don'ts. But the grace of God does not erase, eradicate uh, the do's and don'ts. There are still some rules. There are still some regulations Amen, there's uh, still some boundaries that God has set forth for my life. Uh, Not in order for me to be saved, but because I am saved. Amen. But according to Paul, when I was liberated from my sin, I wasn't delivered or set free just so I could go out and live as I want or do as I please. But instead, I was liberated from sin so I could submit, surrender, and yield my life in under an entirely different yoke. Thankfully, one that is, a, that is a whole lot better than the rule, the reign, and the dominion of sin I was formerly and under. Formerly and under. Jesus described that in the book of Matthew. I believe it's chapter 11, amen, where He said, Come to me all you that labor and are heavy laden. and I, Amen. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Uh, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friend, Christianity comes with a yoke. Amen. It comes with a a reign and a rule and a dominion and an authority over our lives. But the yoke of Christ is much easier and much lighter than the yoke of sin that once restrained us and had us bound in the bondage of our sins. But when the Lord delivered me, He did so by redeeming me, by purchasing me, and buying my life back from the rule, the reign, and the dominion of Satan. And as a result, I am not my own. I do not belong to myself. We referred to that in a recent broadcast. But I have been bought with the precious price of Christ's blood, and now I am the purchased possession and the property of my Savior. I've been branded by the blood. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm not my own. Uh, My mouth is not my own. My ears aren't my own. My eyes aren't my own. My hands, my feet, my mind, Uh, my desires, my emotions, my attitude. Uh, Amen. They don't belong to me. They are not my property. They belong to my Savior, Jesus Christ. And He has the right and the authority to tell me how I should conduct myself as it relates to the individual members of my body, if I recognize that fact, I have no other choice but to yield and surrender myself and under the rule, the reign, and the authority of Christ, even though I have been set free from the dominion of sin and Satan. Now there's a recognition. Verse number 19, I speak after the manner of men. Here we find a very sensitive uh, and sentimental statement from the Apostle Paul as he was recognizing the challenging aspects of the truth he was trying to get across. And we see Paul doing that. Uh, I'm thankful that this is not some robot, but this is a, a, a real man that understood how we feel and knows what we're going through. By the way, Jesus does too. I'm thankful we have a sympathizing uh, Savior, uh, one who has been touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Amen. He's been tempted uh, in every way uh, like as we are yet without sin. But Paul knew how we felt and he understood what it is to be tempted. And what Paul is saying in this statement is something along the lines of don't get me wrong. This is what what is supposed to to be done. This is what we are supposed to do and how we are supposed to live. But I fully recognize that it's a whole lot easier said than done. Can I get a witness today? But the reason Paul had the authority to make that statement was because he was a man just like those in his audience were. And he dealt with the same problems and the same struggles so many of them constantly faced and dealt with. And as we move over into chapter number seven of our study, we're going to see how that Paul elaborates and goes uh, into his own personal struggles with sin and temptation to great lengths and in, a, in very in a in a very striking manner and way. And I think this is why it's so important that when we preach or teach the Bible, we do so in a practical uh, and a relevant way. And although doctrine and theological truths are necessary, and as we mentioned on yesterday's program, uh, doctrine, uh, doctrine matters and it is vitally important. But yet the doctrines and theological truths of the scriptures ought to be taught in a way to where the audience is able to make personal application and personal relevance to these truths as they are presented and given out. That's why in and through the life and ministry of Jesus, he spent an abundant and inordinate amount of time speaking in parables. He wanted to make sure that his audience would be able to understand and apply the truths he taught uh, them to their own individual lives. Amen. So now there's a limitation. And let's uh, look at verse number 19. Because of the infirmity of your flesh. Here the key word is the term infirmity and it means to be in a weak, frail, or sick condition. And basically what Paul is doing through this statement is to present our flesh in a state of weakness and frailty. But the question is just exactly what context is the apostle referring to when he describes our flesh as being in a state of weakness. And by that I mean is he talking about our flesh as being more or less of a threat to we who are now saved. And when we consider the words of chapter 7, you would think that Paul might be referring to the danger and the threat our flesh still poses towards our lives even though we've been saved and delivered from it, maybe alongside the statement Jesus made to His disciples in the garden of Gethsemane right before they fell into temptation when He said, truly the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yet, and that's true, friend. You, you know, we, want, we need to have a, a healthy respect for the reality of the, uh, the old Adamic nature of the flesh. Why? Because even though it's been slain, it's received that mortal wound. It is in the process of dying. You know as well as I do, there's nothing more dangerous than a wounded animal. Amen, uh, that animal is wounded and the best thing you can do is avoid it and stay away from it and not get too close to it lest you yourself become wounded by that which is in the process of uh, is of dying. But my point is I'm just not sure... That interpretation falls in under the consistent framework of everything we've been studying over the last few verses. And if we uh, consider the statement within its context, and by context I'm talking about that which comes before and that which follows after the statement that's being made, which helps us to better understand, properly interpret, and rightly divide the word of truth. But again, rather than exalting, in its context, rather than exalting and elevating the role the flesh plays in our lives as Christians, all Paul's done over the last few verses is to devalue, demean, diminish, and discredit the power, of the dominion, and the influence the flesh has in our lives now that we have been born again. And friends, can I just say, and if you don't get anything else from the Trumpet Series broadcast today, hear this. I'm afraid we Christians are guilty of giving the flesh way too much credit for the sinful choices we so often make in our lives now that we are saved. And sad to say, I can't help but wonder if more than anything else, the flesh has become a convenient excuse and a crutch to legitimize so many of the sinful Choices we so often make as God's people. God forbid that you and I would use the flesh as a crutch for the decisions and the voluntary choices we commit or we make to commit willful and presumptuous sin. In reality, here in Romans 6 verse 19, Paul presents and describes the flesh as an infirmed, sickened, diseased, weak or frail figure that is in the dying process, just like a wounded animal or a hospital patient that's been declared terminally ill, which fits like a glove or fits like a piece in a puzzle, amen, right into the context of the passage we have been studying. And although doctrine, amen. So uh, again, bottom line, the Adamic nature of our old sinful nature ought to have very little, if any, dominion or authority in our lives as Christians. Why? Because it's been fatally wounded. It's in the dying process. It's on spiritual life support, so to speak. And as a result, it shouldn't have anything but a lame duck status in our lives, just like a president that's been voted out of office and is just waiting to be removed and moved out after a presidential election. Once a president has been voted out of office, waiting for the new uh, president to take uh, take over. That lame duck president has very little authority, Uh, amen, because uh, the people have more respect for the incoming president than than they do the outgoing president, amen. Now there's a procession. Verse number 19, For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity and to iniquity, verse 19. Here Paul vividly describes the activity and the behavior of every lost sinner apart from Christ as they demonstrate a lifestyle of being in under the rule, the reign, the dominion, and the authority of sin. And that is they are guilty. those who are lost, those who are unconverted. They are guilty of yielding themselves and particularly yielding the members of their own bodies unto uncleanness. As they just continually go from one iniquity to another iniquity. Friend, that truly is the pattern of any unborn or unconverted sinner who lives their life apart from Jesus Christ. In that they display a lifestyle of using the individual members of their body to practice Uh, A habitual lifestyle of sin and iniquity. I'm talking about people who simply transition from one sinful act to another, almost as if they're addicted to sin rather than righteousness. And whether it be their hands, their feet, their mouths, their ears, their mind, their emotions, their wills, their desires... They live lifestyles that can be generally characterized as wicked, sinful, and immoral. Let me ask you today what are you addicted to? Are you addicted to sin or are you addicted to righteousness? That in itself tells me whether or not you have a converted or an unregenerate nature, spiritual nature. Whether it be their hands, feet, mouths, ears, and minds. Again, it's all characterized uh, by wickedness and immorality. I'm not talking about occasional sin. We're all prone to occasionally commit acts of sin, but I'm talking about a lifestyle to where sinful acts and choices are considered ordinary and normal. How about you, friend? Or how about others who are who are examining your life? Do they view you as committing individual repetitive? Excuse me. Red- or, excuse me. Repetitive or Uh, Amen. Continuous acts of sin or repetitive and continual acts of righteousness. Uh, And friend, can I just say that if this description fits your life and all you do is just go from, you use your mouth or you use your feet or you use your hands or you use your eyes and ears, whatever it might be, uh, whatever body part it might be, if you normally and usually use the members of your body to commit uh, acts of sin rather than righteousness, then uh, more than likely you're a child of Satan rather than a child of God. And you are a serv- still a servant of sin and un- unrighteousness rather than a servant of holiness and righteousness. You know, the Bible says that we are to examine ourselves to see whether or not we be in the faith or not. And my question is, as we who profess to be saved examine the ordinary behavior, the everyday behavior of our lives, and especially the behavior of the individual and particular members of our bodies, do we use those members to commit more sin and iniquity? Or do we use those members to practice more holiness and righteousness? Amen or Ome. for instance, when we talk, do we use our mouths and our tongues to commit more sin or to speak uh, more words of righteousness and holiness? And as far as our eyes are concerned, do, they, do, we, do our eyes spend more time watching and looking at things that are inherently sinful or godly, or godly? And how about our ears? Do our ears listen to things that are by nature sinful? Or do they hear things that are holy and righteous? What do you feel more comfortable listening to? Smut and garbage and trash and dirty jokes? Or does it come more natural for you to hear the Word of God? What about your hands and feet? Do they do things and go places that cause you to commit sin or to practice godly and righteous living? Oh, there he goes, that old legalist, that old Pharisee. He's preaching a, a, a do's and don't religion. No, friend, I'm just giving you the Word of God. And friend, as candidly as I know how to say it, if there is any closeness whatsoever regarding that which uh, we spend more time doing or practicing with the individual members of our body, whether it be sin and iniquity or holiness or godliness, I believe I'd check up and make sure that I truly have been saved and delivered from the reign of sin, the dominion, the authority of sin. I mean, it ought to be as different as night and day. Again, I'm not talking about occasional acts of sin. I'm just talking about your natural, normal, and ordinary behavior. What comes more natural for the individual and particular members of your body? Sin or righteousness? That which has been delivered and and made free from the dominion of sin ought not live as if it is still and under a state of bondage and captivity. Jesus Himself said it, In John 8, 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now there's an ambition. Uh, Verse number 19, Even so now yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. Here we find what ought to be the basic and overall goal of every born-again Christian that's been saved by God's amazing grace. And that is to make sure we yield, submit, and surrender the members of our bodies as servants of righteousness and holiness. In other words, if we are truly in the center of God's perfect will, and friend, this is as true as the law of gravity itself. Uh, If we are in God's will, we ought to be able to describe the general and overall conduct of the individual members of our bodies as practicing one act of holiness, righteousness, and godliness after another. In other words, when our mouths speak, they ought to repetitively speak one word of holiness, godliness, and righteousness after another. And as far as our eyes are concerned, they ought to be viewing one holy and godly image right after another. What about our hands? It ought to be one godly deed after another godly deed. How about our feet? They ought to be taking us to one godly place after another godly place. How about our fingers? They ought to be typing one godly word after another godly word. I feel conviction on that one. Amen. How about our emotions and feelings? It ought ought to ought to be one godly attitude after another godly attitude. How about our minds? It ought to be one godly thought after another godly thought. And then how about our desires? It ought to be one godly craving after another godly craving. Uh, I'm afraid we all ought to be on the altar after that one. Amen? I'm talking about a lifestyle that demonstrates a consistent matter and behavior of godliness when it comes to the practices and behaviors of the individual and particular members of our bodies. That is if we are where we need to be with the Lord spiritually. Don't you tell me you're right with God. Don't you tell me you're close to God if you spend more time watching smut than you do godly things. Don't you tell me you're right with God if your mouth uh, spends more time speaking trash and filthiness than it does the spiritual truths of God's Word. Amen. Don't you tell me you're right with God if your hands are involved in uh, dirty practices and immoral behavior uh, amen rather than the things of God serving God and serving others don't you tell me you're right with God if your feet spend, spend more time taking you to uh, places of ill repute uh, that tempt you to sin going down to the bar and the strip joint rather than being faithful to the house of God amen Are you right with God? Are you in the perfect will of God? If you are, the particular members of your body will habitually practice righteousness over wickedness. That's good preaching. Incapacitation, verse 20. For when we were the servants of sin, we were free from righteousness. Or the word ye. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. Here Paul describes just how incapable and impotent, unsaved people really are as it relates to their ability to commit righteous and holy acts. Now don't get me wrong. We'd all have to admit this afternoon and acknowledge that lost and unsaved people do and certainly are capable of committing random acts of holiness and righteousness. Uh, Sinners can do... Good things. But as far as living lives and conducting lifestyles that are consistently characterized and described as being lives of holiness and righteousness, I think we'd have to say it's impossible for a lost and unsaved man to do such a thing. Why? Because, biblically speaking, man in his natural lost and unsaved estate is inherently sinful. And wicked rather than being good and righteous. Paul said that I know that within my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Amen. The heart of man is uh, desperately wicked. Amen. That's right, naturally speaking. And for a lost man, it is certainly more normal for him to yield the particular members of his body as instruments of sinfulness and wickedness rather than holiness, righteousness, and godliness. That's why it is such, you listen to me, friend, it is a waste of time to try to reform the nature of a sinner. Why? Because trying to reform a sinner's nature is like trying to get a dog uh, not to like vomit, a fish not to like water, or a hog not to like slop. Amen? Amen? See the reason these creatures do the things they do, and conduct themselves in the way they in, in the, the manner in which they do, is because the things they do are according to the nature that dwells within them. And naturally speaking, a dog likes vomit. Naturally speaking, a fish likes water. And naturally speaking, a pig likes slop. And you are wasting your try- time trying to remove. Uh, that nature uh, or to try to train uh, the nature of that pig, that dog or that fish to do something differently other than what comes naturally to him. See, the only way to change the actions, the choices and the conduct of a person or an individual is to change the root cause of the actions. Uh, Amen. Choices and decisions they make. Which is the fundamental nature of the creature itself? You have got to change the nature of the creature. Amen. Uh, you you've got to you've got to uh, uh, amen. You've got to be able to supernaturally cause the apple tree to produce oranges instead of apples. See, we can't do that. It's something that must take place miraculously and supernaturally. Uh, that's, when it comes, that's why when it comes to changing the lifestyles of the wicked and sinful and immoral human beings, what is necessary and what must truly transpire and take place, if they're ever really going to change, is not for an external reformation to occur on the outside of their lives, but for an internal transformation to occur way down on the inside of their own hearts and lives. Friend, you listen to me today. If you're saved, if you're lost and you struggle with sin, you're, you're, you're a, you struggle with some type or form of addiction, whether it be drugs or alcohol uh, or sexual perversion, if you have a, a problem with, with addiction, amen. What you need is not reformation, external, outside of. reformation I'm talking about cleaning all up the outside of the man amen but you need an internal transformation that changes the very genetic makeup of your heart and life friend can I say this and God give me this to give this to me I don't even have it written in my notes before you can change before you can really and truly change you must first be changed Let me say that again. Somebody needs to hear this today. Before you can ever really and truly change your life, your life must be changed. For you can change your life externally on the outside, your life must be changed internally and on the inside. And you can't do that for yourself. Dr. Phil or Oprah, amen, Uh, or or, uh, AAA, Alcohol Anonymous, uh, cannot, or ENA, Narcotics Anonymous, can't change you internally. Th- they may be able to uh, clean you up and make you look better on the outside, but you're still that same uh, messed up, mixed up reprobate on the inside. Before we can ever change on the outside, we must be changed on the inside. Uh, and what, uh, what people need today is not an external, outward reformation. They need an internal and inward reformation. Transformation uh, that can only take place by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. Miraculous, supernatural. You cannot change yourself. God must cha- must change you. And when He changes uh, the nature of your heart, life, and soul, Amen. it will become normal for you to clean yourself up on the outside after He cleaned you up first and foremost on the inside. 2 Corinthians 5.17 This takes place at the time of our conversion at the point, the time, point and place where we are birthed, literally birthed spiritually in the family of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, behold all things are become new. I once was dead, now I'm alive. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah, glory to God. I'm thankful that I know what it is to be changed. And now I can change. So that's positionally speaking. We are changed at the time of our new birth. But then practically speaking, it takes place. That change, that transformation, that internal transformation, that supernatural miracle. Uh, occurs on the inside that will eventually and ultimately be revealed on the outside. It takes place every single day in our lives as we yield the individual members of our bodies under the new reign, the new rule, the new dominion, and the new authority we we are now living in since we have been converted. Paul wrote it like this. Boy, I've been having a time today on the trumpet series. Hallelujah! Thank God for His precious and holy word. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, the individual members of your body, a living sacrifice. You're sacrificing, you're submitting, you're surrendering the members of your body individually unto the Lord each and every day, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why is it reasonable? Because you don't belong uh, to yourself. Amen. You've given. You've relinquished all your rights as a person. You went. Amen. You went from being under the bondage and the rule and the reign, the dominion, the authority of Satan and sin, and now you have a, a new reign that dominates and controls your life, and that is the reign of Christ, the reign of God's grace. Amen. So again, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. You've been branded by the blood of Jesus. You are the purchased possession that belongs to the holy God of heaven. But here it is, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. See, reformation uh, is conforming our lives. Uh, Amen. But listen, but be ye transformed internally, not conformed externally, but transformed internally and on the inside. By the renewing of your mind every single day, not just once, but every day your mind needs to be cleaned up and cleaned out that ye, may be, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Friend, the will of God for His children is not for them to yield the particular members of their body to a rule, a reign, or a dominion of sin that they've been delivered uh, out of. But I assure you the perfect will of God for every one of those who know what it is to be saved is for them to yield, submit, and surrender the particular members of their body on a daily basis to the newfound reign of grace and the reign of Jesus Christ that they are so blessed and privileged to, be, to now be in under. So here's the question as we close. Uh, today's uh, amen. Wonderful edition and episode of the trumpet series. Whose reign are you living in under? And under what rule are you habitually and consistently submitting and surrendering the particular members of your life towards? Are you uh, yielding yourself to the reign of sin and of death? Or are you surrendering your life daily and the members of your body daily under the reign of righteousness through Jesus Christ our Lord? Father in heaven, I love you. I thank you, Lord, for what has been a wonderful episode of the Trumpet Series broadcast. Lord, I pray, Father, Lord, You said that if you be lifted up, You'll draw all men unto Yourself. Lord, would You just enlarge our coast today. Give us more viewers and listeners, not so that we might glorify ourselves or to promote or exalt our own names, but God, that the name of Jesus might be exalted. That the Word of God might be expounded and magnified. That sinners might be saved and converted and birthed into God's family. And that Christians might grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That we all might become more mature uh, in our walk of faith, God. Lord, I love you and I thank you and I praise you. Thanks for giving me the ability, the opportunity, uh, and the privilege, Lord, to conduct this ministry. Uh, Not according to our own will, but according to thy will. Lord, we love you and we'll praise you and we'll give you glory for it all. We ask it in Jesus' perfect, holy and righteous name and for his sake. Amen. God bless and have a good day is our prayer.